you're going to have to just skip work next week and bring Karen down to sing for me down in Georgia. That's, uh, we could really, uh, wow, I'd love to run that woman through a copy machine and just take her everywhere I go. I, I sure appreciate her. She was so gracious and had delicious meal tonight. And thank you for every kindness you've shown me. I really sincerely appreciate it. I I take pictures of the meals that you guys are serving me. I send it to my wife and I say, now this is how I deserve to be treated. I, <laughs> it never works. So <laughs> She's not all that impressed with any of that. So, But um, turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and There's a principle in the scriptures that I want to just emphasize tonight. Um, And that is, the husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruit. That principle, hey, if the guy is going to take care of the vineyard, if he's going to prune the apple trees, if he's going to mine the orchard, if he's going to take care of the vineyard and make sure that it's all tended and that the weeds are gone and the branches are strong and all of that, when it's time for harvest, it's not wrong for him to grab an apple and eat it. It's okay for him to partake of that. When the Bible says, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, people aren't familiar with the big grinding stone and the oxen, but they would have the big millstones in the middle and they would put the grain in and then they'd have an oxen walking in a circle and they would grind it, or they would have the stalks of corn or of wheat, and it would be trodden out with their feet. But don't be surprised if the ox is going to work and work and work and work all day that he wants to reach down and take a bite of that. You don't muzzle the ox that treads out the corn. Why? What happens if there's no reward? It gets to be a pretty dreary, weary slog if it's all give, 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 work, 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 sacrifice, 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 and there's no reward. And I had preached a a message one Sunday, and I mentioned, hey, you know, there are five crowns a Christian can earn, and it's the crown of glory and the guy comes up to me afterwards he says listen I don't need to be bribed I know what's right to do and I go get out of here you stupid Pharisee the idea of rewarding labor is God's idea it's a principle through the whole Bible don't you claim to be more spiritual than God is You're holier than thou, strut-sitting down, arrogant, prideful. Get over it. 
God's the one that said we could get crowns. Then we get to cast them at his feet and say he's worthy, right? Because he's the one that enabled us to do anything, right? We wouldn't amount to a hill of beans if it weren't for him. But this principle, I mean, hey, one of the benefits of staying in a church for a long time is you pray for a family, you minister to them, and hey, if I've got to go to the cancer ward, then I want to go to the birthing center. If I have to do the funerals, then I want to be there for the weddings. If I have to put up with somebody moving away and tearing my heart out, I want to be there to welcome the new person joining. Amen. Right? I, there, it's, some people are so busy earning their salt, they forget their sugar. But there is a reward, and it's kind of neat to stay in the same place and see the long-term effect of your ministry. It's such a blessing. Well, here, in, in 2 Corinthians 8, Paul's going through, and commonly in missions, they preach on this and how you're supposed to give for the poor saints at Jerusalem and how you're supposed to be unselfish and all of that. And you get to the top of chapter 9 and look at the verse there in verse 1, he says, For as touching the ministering to the saints, it's superfluous for me to write to you. And you say, oh, wait a second, there's a four-syllable word there. What does it mean, it's superfluous for me to write to you? He's saying to the Corinthians, you guys already get this. I don't have to preach to you about giving sacrificially. I don't have to talk to you about being unselfish. I don't have to explain to you how there's a great need over here and you have a great abundance here. I don't have to. It's superfluous for me to write to you because you get this. You understand this. And so notice after he just got done explaining it all in chapter 8, it's superfluous for me to write to you, for I know, verse 2, the forwardness of your mind, for which I boast of you to them of Macedonia, that Achaia, that is the Corinthians, was ready a year ago, and your zeal has provoked very many. That's the way I feel when I come to Auburn. Uh, hey, I don't have to talk to you about being unselfish. I don't have to talk to you about caring for others. I don't have to talk to you about the great need for missions. I don't have to explain to you that, you know, money is a defense and money answers all things. And hey, you've got to give if the work of the ministry. I, why? why? Why don't I have to talk about that? Because you guys get that. It's superfluous. I don't have to write to you about that. You've been taught right and you've been practicing right. So it's superfluous for me to talk to you about that. But you read down, and of course you get to the very famous verse 6. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. And as a farmer, of course, I get all that, and I know you've heard preaching and teaching on all of that. And every man, verse 7, I love this, how it boils it down, distills it to individual choice and responsibility. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, 
not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver, and your attitude and your motive matters. Pastor Nelson that led me to Christ used to say, if you have to give begrudgingly, keep it in your pocket. There's no reward for that. Now, when I pastored, I never said that. If, if you have to give grudgingly, then still give it. You don't get a reward for it, but I still want you to give it. <laughs> but I think it's wrong to say work, 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 give, 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 sacrifice, 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 and never say, look, there's, God's keeping the books on this. There's a reward for this. Hebrews 6.10, God is not unrighteous to forget your labor of love and that you've ministered to the saints and do minister. God's keeping the books on all this. But I want you to waltz with me down just the next verse. And stand with me, please, tonight. And I'd like you to, wow, I don't know which one of these is mine. It's got no floaties in it. <laughs> Verse 9, I'm going to read out loud, but I want you to join me, but you only get to say out loud the words that begin with A. I know it's tricky. you got to really be watch. On your toes, there will be a quiz. Are we ready? 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse number 8. Here we go. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. And then let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the superlatives of the promises of the word of God. Thank you, Lord, that the church at Corinth understood giving, that it was superfluous for him to have to write about it, that he reminded them God loves a cheerful giver and that they should be bountiful in their giving. But Lord, now the reward the promise, the assurance. I pray you'd encourage each heart here tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Now listen, thank you, you may be seated. Um, let's just be honest about it. You have a flesh that says, let's do less for God. You have a devil that says, do less for God. And you've got a world that says, do less for God. And so then you have one leather-lunged preacher that comes up here every Sunday and says, we've got to do more for God. We've got to do more for God. And thank God, you're going to get to heaven and nobody's going to say, oh, wow, I did way too much. Boy, that pastor misled me. I should have done a lot less. Every one of you is going to say, thank God for a pastor that said, let's do more for God. You, nobody's going to regret any of that. But here... The superlatives and God is able to make all grace abound to you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. God 
is not your butler. But he puts himself in the place of the responder and says, here's my conditional promise. You unselfishly give and sacrifice and care for others. And I, I, I as God am going to make all grace abound to you. You always have it all sufficiency. Does it? But it doesn't stop there. And tonight I said I'm going to talk about young people. Look with me at verse 9. As it is written, he hath dispersed abroad. His, okay, do you get in on this promise? He hath dispersed abroad, that is, helping others, missions and all that. He hath given to the poor. Do you care about the people locally? His righteousness remaineth forever. There's an eternal reward for what you're doing. It's more than just money. Please... I think money is kind of the homely side of it. It comes from a heart, right? A cheerful giver does what he does with his resources, time, talent, and treasures. Money's part of it, but it's not all there is to it. But now watch. Verse number 10 is what I'm preaching tonight. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower. Who is it that actually provides for the missionary? Is it you or is it God? God does that, right? He might use human tools, but the one who ministers seed to the sower is God. And it says, he that ministers seed to the sower, that same provider, that same God, that same majestic ruler of the universe, he that ministers seed to the sower, and there's three promises, both minister bread for your food, and increase and multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. I just want to, I want to explore those three things quickly tonight. The first thing is, if you'll do right in your resources and you're doing it. So I'm not, I'm not pleading for anything except to say, hey, there is a reward for what you're doing and have done. And the first is, God's going to, provides bread for your food. I think it's important. Look carefully. It says, now he that ministers seed and sow, both minister, it says bread for your food. It doesn't say cake. You're gonna be, I have been young Psalm 37, 25, and now I'm old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. In other words, God says, hey, I'll meet your needs. He doesn't say all your wants. He doesn't say everything you could possibly dream of, but he says he's going to give bread for your food. If you'll do right before God, he puts himself in a position of, I'll make sure you're provided for. Amen. You might not drive a Cadillac, but... You'll, you'll have something. I mean, at the very worst, a Ford. <laughs> he said, he'll multiply, minister bread for your food. The first thing, you can just put both feet on and just say, now, Lord, you made a conditional promise, and I met that condition. I gave, and I gave sacrificially, and I gave unselfishly. And I've tried my best to minister in, with, and through the church. And Lord, I'm trying to see you glorified. I'm trying to see souls saved. I'm trying to see missions supported. Lord, 
I'm in on this. You're the one that provides seed for the sower. And Lord, you said you'd minister bread for my food. Now, I promise you, I've seen this over and over and over again. And I've told you in time past how God supernaturally helped us when my son had a brain tumor. I, I don't know if I told you about the story when I didn't have money for rent and a semi-driver pulls up in front of our house and he, it's the very first day of the month. I pay rent to my father, he's lost. I don't have the money to pay rent. It's $400 and I milk cows and I leave the barn and I say, Dad, I'm sorry, but I don't have rent. And he said, Randy, you know the rent is due. I want the rent. I don't want you to get in the habit of being late with rent. Now that's tough. That's tough when your dad looks you in the face and says that. I go home for breakfast, we bow our heads and pray for the food and thank the Lord and say, Lord, please provide. And there's a ring at the doorbell and there's a semi parked in front of my house and it's a guy who's a truck driver in our church. And he says, uh, Brother King, listen, God just told me to give you this and uh, I'm sorry I missed you yesterday and I'm going by again today, so here, and he gives me an envelope with four $100 bills in it. Now, I took it up to my dad, and he says, Randy, where'd you get that? I said, well, the truck driver stopped. <laughs> it came out of the southwest corner of heaven. And my kids got to see, hey, we prayed, and the Lord provided, and hey, I never missed a rent payment. I didn't have extra. We lived on beans and marbles. The truth of the matter is, I milked cows at four o'clock in the morning. Went to church, worked during the day, came back and milked at four in the afternoon. And then I went out and did home remodeling in the evenings. I promised to take care of my wife and family. And the church couldn't afford to pay me anything, and I don't care. I just, I promised, I told my father-in-law, I will provide for your daughter. I will protect her and provide for her. And I didn't, I'm not bragging or complaining. I'm saying you just do what you got to do. But we never lacked for food. God ministered bread for our food. I'm just, a, not a boast, it's a testimony of a grateful heart. God's been good. But then notice the second uh, clause there, and multiply your seed sown. God delights in sweeping in and being the hero. You take the five loaves and fishes that you have, and he loves to multiply it and make something of it that you never could. I've seen this over and over and over again. Pastor Nelson said, I'm praying that God give us an airplane. Well, that's kind of weird. But we've had nine airplanes given to us. We didn't ask for nine. But you just don't know what God's going to do. He multiplies your seed sown. He, uh, Lord, help us give a million dollars to missions. That was 
$30 million ago. And I'm not, again, please understand, when I read this, I actually believe this. See, I mean, it's, hey, he promised that he would minister bread for my food and he'd multiplied our seed sown. I probably have told here before about the guy, we have a burden to help national pastors and so we take on three or four national pastors at $50 a month and we're praying, Lord, help us help national pastors. We got a good missionary, he's trained a national pastor, he's holding them accountable, he's going back to his home village, Help us help Jose. But we helped Jose, but the guy trained another one and he didn't have the money to help Jose B and Jose C. Not their real names. But a guy comes to our church and knocks on the door and says, is Pastor King here? Uh, I go to a small church and I want to give some serious money to missions and my wife and I traveled to the mission field and we met this pastor who was, or this missionary who was training national pastors and boy, we thought, boy, wouldn't it be neat if we could help him, but we just didn't have a vehicle to do it or anything, so we went to our church and told the pastor, we want to give some serious money to missions to help national pastors. And the pastor said, well, what do you have in mind? And he said, well, we'd like to give a quarter million dollars for national pastors. And the pastor said, well, our whole church budget is only 30000 for the year. He said, you can't give that money here and stay anonymous. And the guy says to his pastor, well, what can I do then? He says, Go see Pastor King. He's really good at spending money. <laughs> That's the truth. That's the truth. He walks in the door. He says, Pastor King, you don't know me, but I'm really good at making money. And my pastor says, you're really good at spending it. So why don't we get together? He says, could, could you start a ministry to help national pastors? Uh, here's... Here's a quarter million dollars. Could you maybe get a checking account started and, and, and maybe some letterhead printed or something? I mean, I don't know nothing about this, but could you, do you need more than that? Or do you think you could get something set up for that? I go, oh yeah, we could get letterhead printed for, for, for a quarter million. That was $20 million ago. We've helped 10,000 national pastors around the world in 58 different countries. Now, I'm saying to you, when I read and multiply your seed sown, I actually believe that. God has a way. I, I've not taken a dime from it. Our church hasn't taken a dime from it. It's kind of neat. To just have a pure heart and just say, hey, this isn't for you. This is for national pastors. Okay, we'll find some national pastors. Every month, we're supporting 50, 60 guys somewhere around the world. And then when the, we help them for two years. And then when they expire, we take on some new guys. 
And of course, do you think there's any potential for graft or corruption or, right? Where there's money, there's always, I got a letter from the Philippines. It's a guy, dear Pastor King, I'm a Baptist missionary and I'm training national pastors and I need help for my guys. And I've trained 250 men to go back to their home villages. And if they each need $100 a month, and so you can just write out the check and mail it to me, and I'll see that it gets to them. And here's the names of the guys. And for some reason, every one of the names ended in Gonzalez. You know what I did. I ran in the bathroom immediately to see if somebody had written stupid on my forehead. <laughs> but they hadn't. <laughs> hey, flesh is flesh no matter whose bones it's hanging on. There's an old saying, in the valley of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. I want you to think about that for a minute. If you've got a whole bunch of people in Nigeria or Ethiopia or Cameroon or Malaysia and they're all abject poor and one of them makes a connection with America and has an avenue to get money Even if he only has 200 a month, they only have 20 a month. And in the Valley of the Blind, the one-eyed man is king. And then he gets to lord it over. Flesh is flesh, no matter whose bones it's hanging on. And so being reasonable and prudent and making it temporary support and not a lot of money so that they don't get completely dependent on American support, holding them accountable, only routing the money through a missionary from America who's trained them and holding them accountable. If that missionary ever tells the nationals where the money comes from, the money stops. Hey, hey, we want to do it honorably, uprightly, but unselfishly. Let's do it reasonably, prudently, but with a heart, a love, and an unselfishness. So he says, minister bread for your food and multiply your seed zone. You'll be surprised if you just do right with God what God can take and make of the resources you give. He has a way of making it go a lot farther than you can ever imagine. But the last part is where I want to park in the last clause, it says, and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Now hear me carefully. Most of what this has to do with is absolutely nothing to do with money. There's a lot more important things in your life, your church, and your ministry than money. Does it matter? What do you have if you don't have health? What do you have if you don't have time? 
What do you have if you don't have a future? You talk to anybody, talk to anybody. When the Titanic went down, the richest woman that had jewels and money in the safe, when the Titanic was going down and the lifeboats were being loaded, she ran to the kitchen and got two oranges. Hey, hey, if I'm not alive, the money does me no good, right? Increase the fruits of your righteousness. I want you to think through with me what really honestly matters in life. The older I get, the more I believe this. My children, my posterity, my grandchildren, our church, the future of our ministry, hey, if it dies with me, we've been a failure. There's no success without successors. I want to believe that the church will continue in a good vein. I want my children and grandchildren to share my vision, my burden. I want those that follow after me in our church to care about the things of God and the Bible and to love people. I care about the future. You say, well, the Lord's going to come. Hey, they told me the Lord was coming in 1984. The three guys that told me the Lord was going to come, I wouldn't have to worry about the future. I've done every one of their, fu of their funerals. I don't know when he's coming. It's occupy till I come. If it's a hundred years from now, you say, oh, it can't last. Oh, I'm not in charge of that. It's way above my pay grade. I know I have marching orders. Be faithful. Teach others that they may be able to teach others also. That's what I'm supposed to be doing. Increase the fruits of your righteousness. You know, God says if you'll be faithful and you'll do right, he'll sweep in and he'll minister bread for your food and he'll multiply your seed zone and he's going to increase the fruits or the result or the outcome of your righteousness. Does it matter to you that you have young people out of this church that have rock-ribbed convictions about God and the Bible and holiness and souls? Does it matter to you that you have young people that have a heart for ministry, that they have a respect for their parents who want to see the church stay true the next pastor, the next pastor, the next pastor. Hey, that Freedom Baptist Church is a lighthouse for the gospel 20 years from now. It's not some Calvinist dead hole or charismatic weirdy thing. I'm saying to you folks, listen to me. The future is the young people. And the verse you can claim is, Lord, look, we've done right by missions. We've given for the work of the ministry here. We've prayed and taught and served and been faithful. And you, you God, who provides seed for the sower, you're the one, Lord, that's taking care of these missions. But you care about us here at home.
You care about us as individuals. You care about our family. You care about our ministry. You care about our church. That sounds kind of incestuous or it sounds kind of selfish or it sounds kind of short-sighted. Except God, why does he give us this kind of a promise? You do right. You stay faithful. And I'm going to minister bread for your food. You'll be okay. I'm going to multiply your seed sown. But I'm going to increase the fruits of your righteousness. Right now, two-thirds of the adults in our church have been to the foreign mission field. Seventy teenagers have been to the foreign field. Forty young people have walked across the platform, stood up there and said, I give God permission to plow my garden whatever direction he wants. If he wants me in ministry, I'll do that. If he wants to be a layman, I'll serve here until I die. But I'm going to put God first. I'm going to give Jesus Christ the preeminence. I'm going to honor him in my music. I'm going to honor him in my marriage. I'm going to honor him in my service. Now, you tell me, what is that worth to you? How do you put a yardstick and measure how valuable it is to have children serving the Lord, training their kids for good and for God, who embrace the doctrines, who practice the Christianity, who teach their children to pray and to love Jesus Christ? And I'm just challenging you tonight. Listen, listen to me. I'm begging you, put both feet, Lord, I claim this. Don't muzzle the ox that treads out the corn. The husbandman that laboreth must be his first partaker of the proof. I'm trying to encourage you folks. There is a reward for what you've done. God's keeping track of all this. And I want you, and God is able to make all grace abound to you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work could you pray a prayer like that lord i find myself standing here the best i know how i tried to please you and now i claim this you made a promise it's me standing in the need of prayer would you minister bread for my food? Would you multiply my seed zone? And Lord, most of all tonight, would you increase the fruits of my righteousness? Only God can do the Holy Spirit office work in the heart, folks. Only God can superintend all of this. We need God on the scene if this is going to work. Heads bowed and eyes closed tonight. Now he that ministers seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food and multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. How many would just say with the uplifted hand tonight, I'm asking God... I'm claiming 
that promise and I'm asking God to fulfill that in my life and my family and my future and this church and our posterity. I'm putting my feet on God's promise tonight. Lord, do what you promised to do. We've done our best to do our part. We own that today. Would you slip your hand up? I'm claiming that today. God, you've been mighty good. I claim even this for me and my children. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these sweet folks. And what a reward that awaits those that have been faithful to you. Help us, Lord, to be everlastingly at it till you come for us. But may our children see in us a Bible-loving, Christ-honoring, God-fearing people. And may they embrace and follow in their generation till you come for us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor. <laughs>